again who God says we are individually and who he says we are collectively. Galatians 4 verse 7 says, So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. And God's talking about who I am. That's to do with my identity. But then in 1 John 3 verse 1, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. And that is who we are. That is to do with our community. Psalm 139, verses 13 and 14. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. That's part of my identity. And in 1 Peter 2, verse 9, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful life. Light, and that is God speaking to the community. It is vital that we have an understanding of who we are in Christ, that we are children of God. We are a chosen people, God's special possession. Those who have put their faith in Jesus are children of God. But you also need to understand that you are a child of God, that you are no longer a slave, that you are his child. I am God's child. And that is my primary identity above everything else. And we are God's children. That is our community. That is our primary community identity. And knowing who you are, who we are, and who we belong to makes all the difference in your life. See, the world will always try to identify you in other ways. And it's true, we have many different characteristics. We can be categorized in lots of different ways. See, I could be identified as a father, or as a husband, or as a brother, or as a son. Some might identify me as a musician, or as a pastor, or as a teacher. Some would identify me probably as a bit of a goof. That's fine. I could also be identified by which communities I am a part of, or which clubs I belong to, or which social media pages I follow. I could be identified by which sports teams I support or which political parties I vote for. But none of those identities or communities should ever take the place of my primary identity that I am who God says that I am. Because who I say I am and who others say I am and who God says that I am don't always line up. In fact, sometimes they get completely mixed up and wrong. Several decades ago, I think in fact it was 1990, which is a wee while ago, I know, but my great aunt and uncle, who have both since passed away, were in Picton on holiday during the time of one of the Queen's royal tours of New Zealand, who of course she has also since passed away. But there was a public event of some kind where the Queen was going to make an appearance. And my aunt, Edna, and my uncle, Ron, decided that they would like to attend while they were there. Now, my aunt was in her mid-70s at the time, and it was an outdoor event, and she had dressed up warmly in a coat. She had a scarf wrapped around her head. She was wearing a hat, and she was also using a walking stick. Like, honestly, if you were to disguise yourself as an, an, a frail but still mobile elderly woman, this is the kind of look that you would go for. That's how she was dressed. 
Now, Uncle Ron dropped her at the entrance and then went to find a park. So Edna, wanted, uh, Edna wandered in and she was spotted by a very kind gentleman who came over to her, greeted her, said how wonderful it was to see her and made her feel very welcome, which is great. That's, that's good community right there. But then this gentleman who actually turned out to be uh, Sir Tipene O'Regan, who was then the chairman of the Naitahu Māori Trust Board, by the way, he directed Edna to a seating area right at the very front of the venue, placing her in a prime spot with a wonderful view of the proceedings and very close, in fact, to the Queen herself. Now, Edna, as you can imagine, was pretty pleased with the development, <laughs> uh, so pleased that she forgot that Ron wasn't with her. Um, <laughs> She wasn't expecting to sit so close to the front and in such an honoured position. She assumed it must have been because she was an older woman and that she had been placed there and she was just so thrilled that she was going to be able to see and hear everything so clearly. Poor Uncle Ron, after parking the car, had no idea where she was. He, he was still at the entrance trying to figure out where she'd gone, but he assumed she must have found a seat somewhere and he went in. Anyway, as the event got underway, Auntie Edna was happily observing everything that was going on when at some point in the proceedings it was announced that the cultural performance group was going to sing. And Edna suddenly found that all the people sitting in her area, all around her, in front, beside, behind, they all stood up to start performing. For some reason, Sir Tipina O'Regan had mistakenly identified Edna as somebody else. She thought... He thought that she was someone that she definitely wasn't. He thought that she was a member of this performing arts group and had seated her with the choir in full view of the audience and the Queen. Now, of course, my Auntie Edna, being who she was, figured there was only one thing she could do. And much to the delight of Uncle Ron, she stood up with the choir, mouthed all the words, and tried to copy all the actions as they went along. And that, would you believe, is the story of how my great Auntie Edna got VIP treatment from the chairman of the Naitahu Māori Trust Board and performed for Queen Elizabeth II. It's pretty good effort. Edna was not meant to be part of that group. That wasn't her community. It was a case of mistaken identity. There was something about her appearance and the way she dressed on that day, at that time, in that context and in that moment, which led them to mistakenly identif identify who she was. But the thing that's really important to remember is that error in identification, that miscategorization, didn't actually change Edna's identity at all. It didn't change her actual community either. But it does make for a very funny story. <laughs> that we relive often, actually, to be honest. It's just, it could only have happened to Edna, I'll be really honest. <laughs> Who am I? Who are we? What is my identity? What is my community? I want to look at a passage from Colossians 3 that talks about this stuff. It talks about who we are as individuals, what our identi identity is. It talks about how we're to grow in our character and live out that identity, but it also tells us how we are to live as a community of believers. And the passages from the first half of Colossians 3, uh, a bunch of verses here that I'd like to read, and then we're going to look into it. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. 
For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity." So this letter of Colossians is written by the Apostle Paul to the Colossian church. And this passage starts by establishing again their identity, who they are. The first sentence is, since then you have been raised with Christ. And earlier in the letter, and in particular chapter 2 of Colossians, Paul writes about how they have received Christ Jesus as Lord, how they have died to themselves and have been raised up as a new creation in him. Since then, he's saying, that is now who you are. Now that your identity is found in Christ, set your hearts on things above. Set your hearts on heavenly things. Set your hearts also means to desire, to strive for, to seek after. It literally means to keep on seeking continually for now and forever. Set your hearts on Jesus and desire after him. Also, he says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. As one whose identity is found in Jesus, Paul is encouraging them to put Christ at the center of their aims and their desires, but also at the center of their thought life, to put everything that happens on earth in the context of eternity. So after he's reminded of them who he is, he goes on to describe uh, sorry, who they are, he goes on to describe some of the changes that should take place if you've set your minds and hearts on Christ. Colossians 3 verses 5 and 8 and 9 say, just remind you, say this, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. But now you must also, this is verse 8, rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other. So Paul gives three different groupings of things that should be gotten rid of for those who are now raised with Christ. In the first grouping, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, and idolatry, which are all things that put the gratification of self over and above the needs of others. And they put these things at the center of our lives in place of Christ, which is idolatry. These things, Paul says, are to be put to death. It's quite a violent statement, actually. To be wiped out, eliminated, or as some, one translation puts it, 
slayed utterly. It's quite strong. And the second grouping, he then says, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language. They're all to do with our attitudes and our speech. What is your disposition and temperament? How do we talk about and to people? What are the attitudes that come out of us in the way that we behave and speak? And this group, Paul says, are to be gotten rid of. Or other language puts them, we are to strip them off or remove them from our lives. And the third grouping that he puts there just has one thing in it. Do not lie to each other. Don't do it anymore, he's saying. The first group, Paul said, must be put to death. The second group are to be removed. And then he simply says, stop lying. Don't do it anymore. So the passage in Colossians 3 starts with Paul reminding them about their identity in Christ. Then it instructs them about the things that should be removed from the lives of those who identify with Christ. And then in the middle of this passage in verse 11, it reminds them again of where their identity is found. Colossians 3 verse 11. Here, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Paul actually writes a very similar passage in the letter to the Galatians. Galatians 3, 26 to 28. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And Paul lists some of the different ways that the society of the time may have identified you, may have put you in a group, Jew or Gentile. People may have identified you as a Jew, that is one of God's chosen people, or a Gentile, that is not one of God's chosen people. But that distinction no longer matters now that you are in Christ because you are a child of God. Slave or free. People may have identified you as a slave or as free, as one who has the full rights of a free man or the lack of rights as a slave. But those rights, that standing, are not the rights you have in the kingdom of God. Either way, you are both heirs of the promise. You are both children of God. Male or female, he's saying. And at the time of writing, of course, the, the rights that you had as a male or a female were vastly different, much more different than we have today. But those rights and privileges that society has given you or not given you as a male or female make no impact on the rights you have as a child of God. There is no distinction between male and female in terms of your identity in Christ. Circumcised or uncircumcised. It's another way that the people of the time could have been identified, separated into groups of those who have been set apart unto God, which is what circumcision symbolized, or those who have not. You know, those distinctions were real. There are actual physical differences, but that identification is superseded by your identity in Christ. Barbarian or Scythian. It doesn't matter if you come from a barbaric tribe who it turns out, drank blood from bowls made out of skulls is, is one of the things that the Scythians did. If you come to Christ, you are now a child of God. So in these lists, Paul is saying these different identifications, your nationality, 
your heritage, your gender, your cultural background, your physical condition, your social status. They're all things. They're all real. They all have some meaning in this life. But Paul is saying that none of these ways of identifying you, none of these community groupings reflect your true and primary identity. The community that you primary belong to, that you are children of God. So after reminding the Colossian church of their identity of Christ, talking about the things that should be removed from their lives because of their identity in him, reminding them again of their identity, Paul continues this passage by describing the characteristics that should be present in the lives of those who are in Christ. Colossians 3, verses 12 to 14. Therefore, since you are in Christ, and Christ is all and is in all, therefore... As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Because you are God's chosen people, you must clothe yourselves. You must put on compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And the the imagery that Paul uses throughout this passage is saying we should be exchanging our old, dirty, filthy clothes, the impurity, the rage, the lies. We should be taking those off and instead putting on new, clean clothing, compassion, humility, patience. Instead of anger, we should show gentleness. Instead of greed, we should display humility. Instead of slander, we should show compassion. These characteristics, these markers of our identity in Christ, build up a beautiful sense of community, of belonging, of welcoming. Paul also indicates that it won't be easy. He he says in there that we will need patience. That tells us that it will take time. He says we will need to bear with each other. That tells us that there will be some actions or words or behaviors in others that we won't like, but we are to bear with each other. I do quite like that he set the bar quite low with that phrase, didn't he? He didn't say we have to like what's happening. We just have to bear with it. Paul says that we will need to forgive one another. In fact, I noticed as I read it through that time, he says we're to forgive others if anyone has a grievance with someone. So it's not just forgiving people who have had a grievance with you or you've got a grievance with them. No, you're to forgive people if there is any grievance between any people. That also tells us that in a community of believers, there will be things to forgive. But as God has forgiven us, so we are to forgive freely. And finally, over all these virtues, put on love. Over all these markers, over all these indicators of our identity in Christ, put on love. Because love is the ultimate marker of who we are as children of God. It is actually our best form of identification. In John 13, Jesus says this to the disciples, A new command I give you, Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples 
if you love one another. Jesus is literally telling the disciples that people will identify them as his disciples by the love that they show for one another. The way we love one another as a community is how people will recognize our identity, that we are children of God, that we are followers of Christ. So this passage in Colossians 3 begins with Paul reminding the church of their identity. Then he lists the areas of their lives that should be removed if your identity is in Christ. Then he reminds them again that their identity is in and through Christ. And then he lists the characteristics that should be put on by those, by those who identify with Christ and what a community of Christ followers should look like. And then finally, he finishes the section of his letter by reminding them again that Christ is at the center of all they do. Carry on in verses 15 to 17. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. The peace of Christ, the message of Christ, and the name of Christ, all are to be at the center of everything you do as followers of Christ. Team, can I have you come up and join me? We'll worship again together shortly. I am a child of God. That is my primary identity. We are children of God. That is our community. And living, learning to live out our identity and live in community together is what our journey of faith is all about. Regardless of how else we may identify ourselves or how else others may identify us, we must continue to learn and understand who it is that God says we are, who it is that God says I am, who it is that God says you are. And these passages that we've read today are a good start, but God doesn't just describe us as his children. He has so much more to say about us. And I'm going to put some things up on the screen, but if you would like a copy of this, let me know and I'll send it to you because God says that we are saved in 2 Timothy. He says we are healed in Psalm 30. He says we are forgiven in 1 John. He says we are his tabernacle in Revelation. He says we are redeemed in Ephesians. God says we are blessed in the Psalms. He says we are free from sin in Romans. He says we are alive in Ephesians. He says we are one with Christ in Corinthians. He says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made in the Psalms. He says we are guarded and safe in Philippians. He says that we are wise in Proverbs. He says that we are Christ's ambassadors in Corinthians. He tells us that we are precious in Isaiah. He also tells us that we are not alone. He tells us that we're chosen in Thessalonians. He says that we are strong in Corinthians. He says we are justified in Romans. He says we're joyful. He says we're God's temple in Corinthians. He says that we are citizens of heaven in Philippians. He said that we're created for good works in Ephesians. He says that we belong to him in Isaiah. 
He tells us that we are not condemned in Romans. He tells us that we are a new creation in Corinthians. He tells us we are accepted in Romans. He declares that we're more than conquerors in Romans. He says we are sufficient in Corinthians. We are called. We are his special possession in Peter. He says we are victorious in Corinthians. We are complete in Colossians. We are no longer slaves in Galatians, and we are his children in 1 John. Why don't you stand with us if you're able, and I'd love to pray. Praise you, Lord God. Praise you, Lord. Lord, I thank you that no matter who we are or who we think we are or who people say we are, no matter what label or identity or identification we have, no matter what communities we belong to or have belonged to, no matter what names or labels have been placed on us in the past, we thank you, God, that you say we are your children through what Jesus has done for us. You say that we are no longer slaves. You say that we are loved. You say that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. You say that the name of Jesus is above every other label. The name of Jesus is above every other identity, every other community. The name of Jesus is above every other name. And Lord, with humble hearts, we just say, thank you. We say thank you. We ask by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would remind us in a deep and powerful way that we are loved by you, that we are your children, that every other I am statement bows down at the foot of Jesus and says, I am a child of God. You are children of God. We are children of God. Jesus, we thank you for all that you've done, all that you've given us, so that we can make that statement and declare that we are children of God. We proclaim the name of Jesus over every situation, over every circumstance, over every life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.